everyone and welcome to the service. We're so glad that you've joined us. I've got some exciting new things to bring to your attention today. Firstly, we are having a ladies event. On Saturday the 5th of September at 2.30, we're gonna gather on Zoom for an event called Fit for Praise. Now don't let the name intimidate you. It is open to ladies of all ages and all fitness levels. We simply wanna have an hour of fun together uh, through movement. And so we just trust that it'll be a time of great fun and fellowship and laughter potentially. But if you would like to be a part of that event, you can sign up by heading to our Google form. The link is on screen now, and we will then send you uh, all that you need to know to participate. Secondly, I want to let you know about a new discipleship training track that we are releasing called Discipleship Matters. These will be topical series that we will release to you as a package to address some issues that we can't always tackle during a Sunday service. Up first, we're going to be doing a series on anxiety. It is a two-part course, firstly on understanding anxiety and then how to manage it. It'll be released to you next week by email and we are hoping that these um, training tracks will just be a great way of equipping you with tools uh, for life in the real world. Now I want to hand over to Nikki Fetting. She has an update to bring to us on what's happening in the lives of our children's ministry. Hello everyone. Have you joined the Gospel Story Adventure yet? This is a Bible reading adventure for families with children in grades 6 and younger. We're going to read the whole Bible in just 10 months. Genesis to Revelation, discovering who God is, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit is at work in us and in our world and even in our families today. As we read, we know that our families will be drawn closer to Jesus and closer to one another. We're going to be discovering things about God together. We're going to be talking about them together. We're going to be praying together. And as a family, we are going to be responding to what God is saying to us. See, it's part of this understanding that the family is the main place for our children to grow in their relationship with Jesus. It is here that they will grow and learn and discover. It is here that they will come to an understanding of Jesus and his message of salvation. It is here in their families that they will give their lives to Jesus, accept Him as Savior, and grow and mature in their walk with Him. Moms and dads, you have a wonderful privilege and a wonderful experience to share with your children. And so join this adventure with us as we read and discover and grow. Now, to be part of this adventure, you need to watch us on a Sunday. We put a Sunday video, a digital experience, on the SPC YouTube channel. You can watch either Kerry or myself discovering and exploring a story. We talk for about 10 minutes. It's gonna take you about 20 minutes to actually be part of the story because you need to read the story for yourselves. You pause to read, you pause to pray, and you pause to have lots of conversation. Now there's only one video for all ages and all families. And so each family will use that video in different ways. Also for Sunday, we have a thing called a color and chat book. And in that book, we have a coloring in page and some deeper conversation questions that you could use. Now, we can't get from Genesis to Malachi in just five months. It's pretty much impossible to cover the whole of the Old Testament. And so families are going to read a second story together in the week. We've put out something called a 10-minute family devotional and that will be discovering another story through the week. A whole week to read just one story and to see what God is saying, to find where Jesus is in that story and to respond together as a family. 
So, how do you join this journey? Well, of course you watch on Sunday, but to access all the things you need, the story cards and the color and chats and the 10 minute devotionals, you can either download them from our, play, from our online source with the email that we send out at the beginning of every month, or you can sign up for In The Bag. Now, In The Bag is a way of getting everything delivered to your door. We print out all that you need for the month, we pack it into a bag, we even put a treat in for the kids, and we drop it off for you to use. That's all you need. Just add family and the Holy Spirit and see where we go from there. This is going to be a wonderful adventure in growth, in conversation, and in maturity. So why don't you join us? Sign up for In The Bag, watch us on Sundays, and then share your stories. Let us know how you are growing and experiencing the Lord together. Thanks so much for that, Nix. We really appreciate uh, what you have put together for the kids, and we hope that our families are excited to use this new curriculum. Now I get to hand over to the team of church planters that serves the island of Madagascar. They are going to bring us an update on what's happening in the life of the advanced churches there and how we can partner with them in prayer. Hi everyone, so this is us from Madagascar. Uh, just like every other countries of the world, uh, the lockdown started at uh, the end of March, precisely on the 19th of March. So since uh, we had around two to three or four weeks of total lockdown, and then uh, since four weeks now, we, it's been uh, back partially. So some of us have uh, had our services back. But uh, in terms of the COVID-19 uh, cases, it's been really growing lots for the past two to three weeks here in Madagascar, especially in the East Coast and uh, in the center where we're at. So like every other countries are as well, we are starting to see that uh, it's really affecting uh, many people's lives, their jobs, jobs being lost. And uh, so that's uh, what's happening in Madagascar at the moment. So in my church plant, uh, as soon as the government was allowing us to get together on Sundays because we were few in numbers, we got together. But most of the people were not willing to come because of uh, uh, fear of transmission of the viruses. And each church is not also doing so well in Madagascar. So we try to SMS people and visit them physically, but even that itself is not so efficient pastorally. And uh, especially with the sick people, because you can't visit them because of, uh, viruses might uh, uh, transmit and they are very vulnerable. But uh, I guess we did as best as we could. <laughs> Um, for us, we've um, struggled with a bit of discouragement over this time. There's a number of our people who have no phones and a lot of people without internet. Um, so staying connected and keeping up to date with people, it has been tough. Um, for the last three weeks, we've been able to meet together in our home, just um, 12 adults and something like nine, 10 kids. 
um, which has been hugely encouraging for those people and um, two other homes have also opened to just small numbers of people and so it's meant we've been able to touch base with a few people which has been very encouraging but it still has been a tough time um, knowing how to connect with people and really um, be church together. And for us, uh, we have been able to meet now uh, for since four weeks, uh, two Sunday, uh, two services every Sunday, and each less than 50 people to meet the government's requirements. And apart from that, we've been also doing some Facebook lives for those who choose not to come to the meetings yet. And we've also been some radio programs for the people who do not have access to internet, which are many of our people actually. And we have also a reading plan. Um, we are journeying together through the New Testament since the, since the beginning of this year. And that reading together makes us feel still one body, still on the same ground, even if we cannot meet and if we do not get in touch very often as we, we would like to, and we praise God for that. And we would really appreciate if you guys could pray for us for God's provision, especially for those of us who has lost their job because of lockdown. And thirdly, we would love you to pray for our people. As we can't meet, we would love you to be praying with us that they would be pressing into God in these interesting times. We also want you to know that we are praying for you um, as you also navigate this um, with God's help. And that is all from us here in Madagascar. Beluma! Church, as you pray for them in the week ahead, if there's anything that God lays in your heart that you would like to send through to us, uh, please drop that to us in an email and we will forward it onto the team so that we can be an encouragement to them. A family within our own church that's needed a lot of encouragement lately is Nathan and Carla Trollope. They want to share a testimony of how God has been good to them uh, through a crisis that they have faced recently. Hello, SBC family. As some of you may know, our house burnt down on the 3rd of August it was quite a devastating event and we lost most of our things. But we just want to thank our church family and community for rallying around us. And we just want to thank everyone who's contributed by giving us meals and just contributed towards putting us back up on our feet. And, and during this time, we've just been reminded about God's faithfulness. Yeah, I'd like to just share a verse that somebody sent to us in this time. It's from Isaiah. 25 verse 4 it says you have been a refuge for the poor a refuge for the needy in their distress a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat and yeah we've in our time of need um, God has provided um, through people that we know and we are so thankful for that um, and we just want to encourage you that no matter what you're going through and and in times of need that God is still there and He cares for you and He loves you and He'll provide for you. As Carla said, we just really thank you um, for your love and support. Um, we really appreciate it and we hope to see you all soon. Bye. 
And so church, just thank you again for the way that you have supported them through this hard season. And we um, ask that you continue to pray for them as they navigate the way forward. That's it from me. I'm going to hand over to Matt now as he brings us God's word. And then reminder that you can stay tuned after the sermon. We're going to worship together through song. You're also invited to worship through giving this morning or by participating in our comment feed and sharing either a picture or a scripture or anything that God might lay on your heart today that could be an encouragement to the body. We would love it if you would choose to participate in this way. Have a great service. Welcome everybody to another online service. We hope that you're well and that you're still loving up and loving out and loving in. And even in the lockdown time that you're just demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit. So Shelley will just read from Galatians and remind us about uh, them. We're going to read from Galatians 5, verse 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's a timely reminder. Um, really, we want to come out of lockdown and just uh, know that we did our best and uh, it never changed us in a negative way at all. So let us pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement it is. We thank you that it sets an example for us and that it leads and guides us. But more importantly, we thank you that you came to set us free. And uh, we praise you for that, Lord Jesus. So as we just listen to this online service, we pray that we'll be able to take these words and these readings and these prayers and this worship time and just apply it to our hearts and that we'll continue to keep our eyes on you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hello, everyone. A very warm welcome to you and to our Sunday online service. And a warm welcome to those who are joining us for the first time and uh, for those who've been tracking with us through our current series called Songs of Salvation, where we've been looking at a number of these psalms. So today we're going to be looking at Psalm 73, and I'm going to hand over to uh, Dean and Belinda Rasmussen, a small group leadership couple in our church, who are going to be reading the text for us. So over to Dean and Belinda. Good morning, SBC. Belinda and I will read from Psalm 73 this morning. God is my strength and portion forever. A Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their heads overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked 
always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generations of my children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to be a wearisome task. Till I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant, I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Thanks so much, Dean and Belinda. So, I'm again calling today's sermon, Don't Waste a Good Crisis, but I'm calling it Part 2. And uh, I've stolen today's title from a quote attributed to the late, great Winston Churchill. And uh, last week, we saw how there was a massive crisis in David's life in Psalm 5, and that this crisis was of a physical nature. There was a physical crisis. His own son, Absalom, was trying to kill him and supplant him as king. But today, we're going to look at a different cause of crises in our lives. And this is a spiritual crisis, and it's in the life of a different man called Asaph. And again, we're going to unlock and unpack how uh, Asaph uh, processes his distress through prayer. And uh, it's another example of Psalm 5 kind of praying with a few differences. But um, remember, all of these psalms are masterclasses on prayer. And if you're wanting to grow in your walk as a believer, if you're wanting to grow in your life of prayer, these psalms are wonderful ways of fueling insight and passion and fresh enthusiasm to commune with the God who loves us. And so Psalm 73 is different to Psalm 5 in that it is a highly structured prayer, but it's a prayer that's looking retrospectively. It's looking back. It's a review of Asaph's extreme distress and how he came through and what his conclusions have been. And so we see a lot of Psalm 5 in Psalm 73, but it gives us, this Psalm gives us a fresh angle on how to process distress through prayer. And I'm going to warn you today to buckle your seatbelts because this is an extremely challenging Psalm and it's going to challenge us to the hilt, but it's got good stuff for us today. And uh, so I want to encourage you to bring your hearts and your ears uh, in response to what Psalm 73 wants to teach us. All right, so I'm going to tackle it unlike last week, which was steps of prayer. I'm going to give headings uh, because Asaph does that in the way he tackles this prayer of review um, of how he worked through his distress. And the first heading is this, is the answer to his dilemma in verse 1. Asaph opens up today by saying, Truly, God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. And Asaph's opening up with a statement, really. This is the conclusion, what he came to see at the end of his trial. And he decides to tell us first 
And initially, his struggle was that he didn't think God was good to those who were pure in heart, as we will see. But in the end, he does. He does come to that conclusion. And in verse 2, we see, which is my second heading, the terrible struggle of this man. You know, that simple first verse statement that he makes was got to through a lot of pain. He says in verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. This crisis in Asaph's life was a doozy. It was one that almost caused him to, or caused his faith to be shipwrecked. And uh, he almost stumbled badly, and he almost lost hold of his faith in the God of the Bible. Now, someone might be watching today who can relate to that. You've gone through something of a crisis in your life where you almost turned away from God. Or maybe today you're in one at the moment. And this psalm, my friend, is for you. You see, we're talking about Asaph here, um, who is a mature believer. I want to say today, none of us are untouchable in our lives. You never get to a place in your life where you graduate from trial. And he's a leader in the, in the life of Israel. People look up to him, as we'll see later. But it was a terrible, terrible struggle that this man went through. And he almost slipped. Now, what was the problem? Verse 3, the perplexing problem. And we see this from verses 3 to 14. But before again, I want to emphasize, before I get into this heading, I want to emphasize again, brothers and sisters, that the Psalms are proof that the Christian faces crises from all fronts. Last week, there was a physical nature, a physical crisis for David. This week, we're going to look at an intellectual, spiritual crisis for Asaph. And this is really so true of how life is, not so. And brace yourself, my friends. Trials come in different ways and crises come in different ways. And this one, particularly for Asaph, it came through him observing real life. I love it. You know, Christian, Christians are thinking people. They should be thinking people. We should be examining life. And this man, Asaph, does it. And he, he, his problem comes through practical observation in society around him. This is what he says. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In other words, Asaph's problem began when he began to fixate on something around him, which was this the prosperous lifestyle of those who do not fear God. They're called the arrogant and the wicked in Scripture. Man, has this ever happened to you? I tell you, this is how a spiritual crisis so often starts. It is as if God permits Satan to take a highlighter and begin to highlight certain themes throughout your day, conversations, observations, thought patterns that begin to come and drive you down a certain pattern of thinking. And this is exactly what happened to Asaph. He is being attacked by an argument that is developing in his mind through him watching everyday life. And he is beginning to be cornered intellectually by our great foe, Satan. I just want to remember again, trials, they come from Satan, but God permits them in our lives. Satan attacks us because he hates us. God permits trials to come into the Christian's life because he loves us and allows us to grow. But here, Asaph is in a spiritual battle. He is under attack. And what is happening to Asaph is this, is that he is being drawn into a comparison game. Ever had that before? It's happened to me. 
when he says, I was envious, what's starting to happen in Asaph? He's starting to evaluate. He's starting to say, what do these guys have that I don't have? They have a lot that I don't have. And he begins to play a comparison between those who fear God, like himself, and those who don't fear God, and looking at the difference between what they have and do not have. So here's the problem. <clears throat> Let me say that again. He observed the arrogance, those who had no fear of God or any interest in pleasing him, and they seemed to be living great lives. They were living lacquer lives. They were having a great time. And this was the problem for Asaph. They seemed to be living better lives than the righteous. In other words, those, the people who were trying to please God, like himself. <laughs> and the thing that really got him was they were seeming to get away with it. When Asaph compares his life to these people around him who are arrogant and who are wicked in their, in their disposition before God, man, he began to think, it seems as if, he thought to himself, God was good to those who weren't pure in heart, rather than to those who were. God seemed to be giving them such great lives when they had no desire to please him. Meanwhile, for the righteous, those who are pure in heart, it seemed like they were having a tough time. Asaph was having a tough time, and here these guys who had no regard for God seemed to be living it up. Now, he, he unpacks beautifully, if we just give the psalm a little bit of a voice here, of the arrogant in this life. And, and friends, this rings true still in the 21st century. You know, Asaph, who loves God, looks at these guys who don't love God, and he sees their life, and he says, these guys have got great lives. They've got, they've got no pangs of conscience. As it comes through in verse 4, he says, they have no pangs until death. They're not agonizing, oh, is this pleasing to God or not? They're just going for it, boy, and they're having a great time doing it. Man, they all seem to enjoy such great health. He says their bodies are fat and sleek. Man, they're certainly not lacking anything. They, their lives are showing that they've got everything. They're enjoying great health, great exuberance. They've got such carefree lives. Oh, man. It says in verse 5, they're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. And because of these arrogant people's success in business, in wealth, in life, they wear their success like a necklace, their pride like a necklace. And they feel that their lifestyles vindicate them when they compare themselves to other people. It says they wear their, their pride covers them like a necklace. And because of that, they look down on people. They go, man, you must be doing something wrong in your life because look how great our lives are. <laughs> Sound familiar? Or how about this? They treat other people so badly. I mean, here is Asaph trying to love everybody everywhere, trying to be kind to the poor. And man, these guys trample on the poor. They think they're, they're God's gift to creation. They rock around with their wealth and they treat other people so badly. It says they wear, their violence covers them as a garment. And they seem to have an abundance of everything. I mean, in verse 7, it says their eyes swell out through fatness. I mean, they don't, whatever they want, they get to put in their mouth. I mean, their cupboards are full. They go to their restaurants, they go enjoy all the, they're living it up, boy. And you know, the fascinating thing for Asaph is he watches these guys and they plot and they plan in their heart what they're going to do next without any regard for God. It says their hearts overflow with follies. Man, instead of going, is this pleasing to you, Lord? Should I do this? Is this in line with you? Well, they're just going for it and they couldn't care less what God thinks. And because of this arrogance, their speech is alarming to Asaph. They say things he would never have dreamt of saying before God. I mean, it comes to here so beautifully. It says in verse, it says in verse, uh, uh, verse nine, they set their mouths against the heavens. 
and their tongues strikes through the earth. They are mocking, unrestrained, disdainful even of God. Recognize any of this pattern of behavior in the world today? Well, this is the thing that really got Asaph. It was this is that when God's people saw their lifestyle of the arrogant and the wicked, they got drawn to it. And the same is true today. It's so sad. It's so real. It's so true. But we have a temptation as believers to look at the world around us and say, they're having a really great time. Where's our fun? Here we are trying to obey God. And, you know, this is the thing. Because of the arrogance outward success, they think, geez, they must be doing something right. What am I doing wrong? Here I am worshiping God, trying to honor my taxes, honor my giving to the church, honor my praying, honor my, my love for my neighbor, be good to the poor. I mean, you're just trying to do everything here. And these guys don't have, a, have, a, have any desire to please God. Whatsoever. And they are just having a whale of a time where our righteousness is costing us. And you see, this is the thing. This is the arrogance argument. This is the person who does not fear God's argument. It has been, was in Asaph's day and it is today. The person who has got no fear of God says this. Well, you tell me, Christian. If God was so against our way of living, why doesn't he do something about it? Why does God seem to let the ungodly get away with their ungodliness? Look at us. We're living it up. Is God doing anything? Is God stepping in to stop us? No, he's just letting us go along. In other words... This God of yours that you're so concerned about, he doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. He doesn't know what we're doing and he doesn't care what we're doing. That's what it says. And they say in verse 11, how can God know? Is there any knowledge in the most high? He says you're fussing over nothing. That's what these guys are saying. Oh, and this is it. The thing that they say is, and we're getting away with it. Don't you see? In verse 12, the wicked are always at ease and they increase in riches. And Asaph in this moment saying, you know what? You're actually right. You guys are doing whatever you want. And God is just letting you do it. And in actual fact, not only are you getting away, you're having a great time. Now, has this ever happened to you? Where you face the essence of their arguments when they say to the Christian, where has all your righteousness and conscientious living gotten you? Not very far in comparison to us. Look at our lives. We don't worry about God and all this stuff. And look how much we enjoy life. Look how we prosper. And Asaph at this moment doesn't know how to answer. This happened to me. You know, every Christian can face this. Or, or I think will face this in their life. I remember varsity wanting to please God so badly. Wanting to try and love everybody. Try and watch what I say. Try and... Bumble, bumble my way through telling people about Jesus and serving my local church and give God my time and give God my money, and honoring him with, with my obedience. And I would look at my classmates sometimes and go, these guys, they don't care why I iota about God. They seem to have such a great time. And here, my faith's costing me in some way. I'm having to say no to things I would actually like to try out. <laughs> and I couldn't go down certain paths. I mean, I didn't try and avoid my friends. I wanted my friends to try and get to know Jesus. And, and we are God's ambassadors. We don't try and put our snobbish nose up and say, you know, you're too good for me. That's nonsense. But there were things I just couldn't go down along with him. I couldn't go along with him with because I just knew it wouldn't be pleasing to God. And friends, today, I want to say to you, Asaph experienced the, the cost 
that every Christian who desires to live a godly life experiences. He says, for all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Verse 4, he experienced rejection and disregard from those around him because he feared God. It was painful for Asa. It was difficult. And I just want to make a quick observation, if I may, just very briefly. Psalm 73 and Asaph's life, who loves God, he loves God, he serves God, he wants to please him, is proof that the two great false gospels being preached today are wrong. The prosperity gospel that says Christians should always increase in riches. I want to say to you today, if every Christian was meant to become super rich, I want to say to you, what was Asaph's problem then? It's nonsense to hear people say that every Christian should be super rich, super wealthy, and a superstar, in other words. It's nonsense. Asaph was in the right here, and yet he suffered once in comparison to these other guys. The second thing I want to point out here is the great danger. I mean, this prosperity gospel is only to die out, but the one that's rearing its head in force is the self-esteem gospel. And I want to say to you, this is the danger of our age, is a gospel that is being preached that always makes everyone feel at ease. I want to remind you, whoever is watching today, if the gospel you believe always affirms, always makes you feel good, but never challenges you to change, to address ungodly behavior in your life, to deal with sin, to sacrifice, to become more servant-hearted, it is a false gospel, my friend. Asaph's faith cost him something. Does yours? Jesus put it so beautifully in Mark 8, 34 to 35. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Friends, Asaph's faith is our faith. And Asaph's ultimate model is our ultimate model. Christ and Christ was crucified. His faith in the God and Father, his God and Father cost him something. If you have a gospel that always applauds you on and says, oh, peace, peace, carry on what you're doing, whatever you feel like, whatever you want to do, oh, God will affirm it is a false gospel, my friend. Asaph had to say no to certain things. His faith cost him. And so, I want to say to you today, this man is in bad trouble. He's in bad trouble. And if it was not for God's grace coming into his life at this point, he was a goner. And there was a rescue moment in verse 15. That's my fourth heading here. Where something snatches and arrests Asaph's thinking. And I just want to quickly point it out to you because this is God's grace in a moment of crisis. You know, up until this point, Asaph's just going headlong down a path of doubt and loss of confidence in God. In actual fact of accusation towards God's behavior. His unjust nature of not blessing righteousness and blessing wickedness. Ah, but something happens. Something wakes. Something arrests Asaph. He wants to say, oh, just chuck in the towel, everybody. That's it. He's almost stumbled headlong. But a thought comes into his head. And it comes here in verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. What happens in a time of crisis and when we're reeling in our thoughts, sometimes um, there is a thought, often there is a thought that comes in T-bones, that process. And it's a grace hook, my friend. It could be that you want to open your laptop and start looking at porn, or you want to go and uh, cheat in some aspect of your work to cover up a mistake, or you want to tell a lie about something. No matter what it is, this thought suddenly comes crashing and says, what will your mother think? 
What will your wife think? For me, what will the church think? Well, God bless your preaching. Whatever it is that tends to arrest that sense of trajectory of, 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 of sin and going in a direction opposite to God, whatever comes and restrains it, it's a thought that comes, it's a hook of grace. My friend, if that happens in your life, you've got to hold to it. You've got to hold to it. You've got to let it do its work. It's the grace of God restraining you. And so be awake, be aware. If you're in a crisis right now and you have these restraining thoughts that won't let you go all the way, they're from God and let them do their work. Give in to them, yield to them. They will save you. And I want to say the fifth heading today is, after all of this trouble, he finds his sanity in the presence of God. Here's our Psalm 5 again coming through. You see, he doesn't have the answer yet in verse 15, and he is so overwhelmed. I mean, this poor guy, I'm sure you can, you can relate if you've been through an intellectual struggle. But when I thought how to understand this in verse 16, it seemed to me a wearisome task. It was too hard until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned the end. You see, what this man did was he realized it wasn't working assessing everything horizontally. He had to come into the presence of God. And when he came to the presence of God, he started to see vertically and he started to see the way God sees. He started to judge things by unseen, the unseen nature of God, the unseen command. He started to think according to what is unseen or what is seen. And in that moment, it was a game changer, my friend. In that second, he got perspective. His dimensions changed. I would say against you today, you have to get into the presence of God. If you are in a crisis right now, it is the only way sanity is going to come into your life. Because when in, he, this happens in verse 18 to 26, we see my sixth heading today. He says he has the solution. He can see clearly. And he sees clearly in three ways. He sees clearly about the arrogance. He sees clearly about himself. And he sees clearly about what he truly has in God. So let's quickly see what he sees about these arrogant that he was so impressed by with their lifestyle and was so almost drawn down the same roads that they were traveling on. He says this, I could now discern their end. You see, I want to remind you, friends, it doesn't matter what you're enjoying in this moment, but what is the outcome of it? What is the outcome of your current decision? You see, sin is always pleasurable in the moment, but has a devastating outcome on the other side. And these guys that were so arrogant and wicked in their lifestyles towards God, they were living it up, yes. But where was it going to get them? And suddenly Asaph started to see with the eyes of the Spirit, with the soberness of, of, of sight, he could see these guys are going nowhere fast. And how we need a reminder of this today, friends, the 21st century church is gripped with this temptation to look like the world. It's always been there, but I want to say to you today, this is a warning to you and me, a reminder to wake up in our relationship with wealth and whether we have it or not, how are we relating to it? And here we see that Asaph has something profound. He sees that God has handed over these arrogant men and women to their wealth. In other words, their wealth was not a sign of God's blessing on their lifestyle. It was a sign of God's judgment. How could Asaph say that? Because he does. He says in verse 18, Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. You see, this is what God was allowing to happen. When you think you are wealthy, my friend, you think you are untouchable. That's the problem. You think your security is set. Your status is set. Oh, your significance is set because of your wealth. When you think you are wealthy, you think you are untouchable. And I want to say to you today, that is the thing that sets you up against God and stops you from seeing your need for him. And God was saying, you want to go that way? 
have all of it you like because you won't find me in it. Friends, this is why Jesus said, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And his disciples said, well, then who can be saved? And God, and Jesus says this, for man, it is impossible. For God, all things are possible. What is Jesus saying? Friends, a wealthy man or woman to see their need for Jesus is an utter miracle of grace. To feel a dependency for anything other than what their wealth gives them, I want to say to you, is a miracle of grace. And very few people can cope with wealth, my friend. I know a few of them, but not many. And I want to say to you today, stop hankering after the thing that bankrupts people spiritually. So few of us can cope with wealth. That's why so few of us have this level of wealth that Asaph marvels at, because it is spiritually corruptive if God's grace is not giving it, with, his grace is not accompanying it. Don't go on that path. It's a slippery path, my friend, because these wealthy people think, oh, the world is going to admire us. We must be something. Therefore, if we're something in front of the world, we something in front of God. Oh, meanwhile, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And what does he see? Nothing. He sees nothing. And how quickly this wealth deserts people in their hour of need. Can I say today, are you setting your hope on riches? On the uncertainty of riches? Asaph sees in verse 19 how they are destroyed in a moment, swept utterly away, swept away utterly by terrors. You know, in one moment a pandemic can hit and your wealth is lost in a month. Or when death comes knocking, let me tell you, you can be the wealthiest guy in the world. You cannot bribe death to come back later. And let me tell you the terror of what is awaiting a man and woman outside of Christ on the day of judgment. Wealth will mean nothing, my friend. Nothing. It will give you no security before the God of heaven who has seen your heart, has seen your true self. And I want to say to you today, this is a warning. God will act against the arrogant and the wicked, although he often takes his time. You see, God is so kind. He gives guys so much time to repent and change their mind. But there comes a time, as Asaph sees in verse 20, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. You know what he's saying here? Is there is going to come a day, and it can happen before death or it can happen at death, where God begins to rouse himself and to say, I am summoning you to, your, summoning you to, your, summoning you to myself. And it's like waking up from a dream, my friend. It's like this. You suddenly wake up, you had such a lovely dream, but then the stark reality hits that this is the God before whom I'm going to stand. Don't go down that path. Christian, I warn you, I beg you today from God's word and I preach this to myself today. Are you enamored with wealth? Are you enamored with the pride of this world and all of its pleasure? I want to say to you today, it is a slippery place. And thank God you can see your need for Jesus. Thank God he arrested your life. If you have wealth today and you can feel your need for Jesus, you get on your knees and say, thank you, God, for rescuing me from the greatest enemy to the gospel. It is a love of money. It is the root of all kinds of evil. The thing that sets itself up against God is the security of wealth. Not only that, he sees clearly regarding himself. Remember what Asaph is doing here? He's, he's measuring from our Psalm 5 last week everyone's conduct against God's. And he sees not only are they wrong, I feel wrong. Can I just probe a bit into your heart this morning? Are you grumbling against God? Are you discontent? Are you bitter before the God of heaven because he's not giving you what you see others have? Asaph fell into that sin. It was the sin of discontentment. And it's a form of unbelief. And he has to confess. He's so honest. He says, I behaved like a brute, a brutish 
an ignorant beast towards you, God. Instead of thinking through the Spirit and through your word and through your ways, I thought through my flesh and I gave into a way of thinking and a way of behaving before you, which I'm embarrassed by. And he repents. My friend, if you let your heart get bitter before God, you're going to behave in a way you will regret. And so today, if you can see that you have fallen into the same trap Asaph almost fell into and God had to rescue him out of, repent. Come and, come and examine yourself before God. Where are you before God? Not only that, he comes to see what he clearly, he comes to see clearly about what he truly has in God. And I, I want to land this today in a positive territory. Friends, in verse 23 to 26, Asaph looks at these wealthy men, these wealthy women, these arrogant and wicked men who've got, and women who've got no desire to please God. He says, what do you really have? You don't have God. You know nothing of what it means to have the God of heaven as yours in your life. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Wow, these men and women glory in their riches. I glory in the eternal, immortal, invisible God who is mine and my life is in his hands. Wow. I want to say to you, Christian, you might not have a sense against your name. You, you are wealthier than the most wealthy unbeliever. These men and women haven't got God, haven't got their, his presence in their life. God doesn't take their life and hold them in the palm of his hand. He's not shepherding their life. They have chosen their own shepherd themselves. He sees the glory of having God. And then he goes on to say in verse 24, because of this intimate relationship with God, God is leading his life. I mean, what a joy. This God speaks to him. He says in verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. Oh man, I want to tell you what a joy to have this immortal, invisible, all-wise and knowing God being the one who's competent to lead your life and does so personally. He also sees that this expectation he has in God is not just for this life. He's got eternal life. That's the crazy thing. In verse 24, it says, And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Not only in this life does Asaph enjoy the riches of being in the presence of God and, his provi- and the provision of God and the security of God in his life. Oh, but he gets to enjoy God forever. There's eternal life. And when you compare that to the temporal nature of riches, what do these wealthy guys have? They've got nothing. They can enjoy their riches this life. Asaph says, enjoy it while you can, my friend. You're having a little sausage roll. We get to have the main course. You're having the hors d'oeuvres. We get to enjoy the banquet forever. What do you have in comparison to having God? Come on. He sees so clearly. And then he sees this is where true wealth lies. You go and enjoy your couple of millions, whatever. You go and enjoy your rebellious lifestyle. I'm going to enjoy God. Because enjoying God is forever. That's where true value lies. You want the temporary nature of riches? I'm going to lay hold of the eternal riches of God. Whom in I mean, have, in, have I in heaven but you, he says. And then he goes on to say, which is the pinnacle for me. And I'm so humbled by this. It just spoke to my heart. I'm, uh, it floored me. when he, he says, and you know what? You can keep your wealth. I'm not giving up God for anything. I'm not giving up for God for anything. He sees the glory of having God in his life, and he doesn't desire anything else. He is totally satisfied. Oh, might that be us listening today, verse 25, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. And he sees that the joy of this covenant relationship with God 
brings him total assurance of salvation through thick and thin. You know the joy of Asaph in that moment saying, pandemic or no pandemic, cancer, loss of home and love, doesn't matter. You bring it on. God's going to keep my life. You throw the worst of me world. I'll throw the best of God back at you because that's what I rest in. That's my joy. And he's doing a chance. He is so celebrate. He sees it as though my flesh and my heart may fail. Though my body might be wracked with disease, with cancer, with age. Though my heart might be wracked with doubt. I want to say to you today, the world... God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You give me your best shot. Can't be God. I'm in him. He has got such peace. And so in conclusion today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, what is the worth of the world's way of thinking and pursuit, of glorying in the pride of life and riches? They think they've got it all together. I want to say to you today, by the grace of God, might we see they have nothing. And if there's anyone listening today, our prayer for you is, don't buy the lie that that is the best that this world can offer. It's not. The best is God himself, through Jesus Christ. For behold, for behold, those who are far from you will perish. Verse 27 says, you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Don't think right now that that is the best. Of the, it's not because the outcome is the worst. No, no, no. And today, let us be sobered by this. Oh, might the Lord grip our hearts today, church. I can ask the question, where are you with God, the living God today? You see, this is not just for the believer, the psalm. It's for the Christian. It's for the Christian. Where are your eyes, Christian? Are you looking with a grumpy heart saying, I wish I had more of that, and I wish I had more of that, and I wish I had more of that, and I wish there's a new gene. Is that where you're at? Are you caught up in the comparison game? Are you gripped with this world? Are you feeling hard done by? And do you have bitterness in your heart towards God? I want to say to you today, you are thinking foolishly, my friend. You are not seeing the glory of your salvation. And you're not thinking with the eternal perspective that Asaph came to you. That truly God is good to those who are pure in heart. Is God enough for you? Can you say, he is my portion? Though I lose everything in my life, I see that all that matters, all that is of value in this life is God. And that my sole purpose in my life is to draw near to him, to live close to him, to listen to his voice and to do what he tells me to do. He says, but for me, it is good to be near God. He's talking about desire for the thing that matters. Are you living close to God, Christian? Do you see the magnitude of the invitation to dwell in the presence and get close to the presence of God and to hear his voice? Who knows what God will show you next if you will seek his glory? That's what Moses, God says, I'll give you anything. What do you want to ask me, Moses? Moses says, show me. Show me your glory. Paul expresses like this. I consider all else as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing you. 
And whilst the world runs after all of these rubbish idols, let's call it for what it is today. Have you said, I have made the Lord God my refuge? Have you said, he is my hiding place and the confidence of my life? And the purpose of my life is not this false self-esteem gospel where everything has to feel good and be affirming my life. That doesn't matter. My life doesn't matter. What matters is the glory of God to tell of all of his works. Verse 28 says, No, my friend, the conclusion of Asaph is the best bet in this life is to give yourself to God. Verse 1, he says, Oh, the Lord is good to Israel. Oh, but he qualifies it to all those who are pure in heart. That's what it means to follow the God of the Bible, to be a Christian and to enter into blessing. Let's pray. Lord, today, I'm so weird. Someone might be watching and saying, oh my goodness me, this was a train wreck. (laughs) Oh Lord, but let's just get serious. Are you today, my friend, wrestling with submitting to Christ. You are not a Christian if you have not given all into the hands of Christ. What I mean by that is you said, Jesus, my wealth means nothing. My works mean nothing. How good I am. What It means nothing. I am saying today, you mean everything to me, Jesus. You're my only hope. And I want to remind you, if you're listening today, what does it profit you to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? You need Jesus, my friend. Your wealth will not save you. Your good works will not save you. Your intellect will not save you. People's opinions will not save you. Only God's opinion of where you are with Jesus matters today. And I want to say to you, will you embrace the cross? Will you embrace the Son of God? Will you say, there is my rescue. There is my hope. I ran to Him. I see my need and I lay hold of it today. I repent of the way I've thought. I was like a brute beast before God. But today I see with spiritual eyes my need for Jesus. Lay hold of him today. But my friends, I want to pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in Christ today. Lord, might our hearts be wrenched open again, softened by seeing our call to draw close. For me, it is good to draw near to God. I pray that you would shorten the gap, close the gap in the way we live before your presence. And might we be men and women that hunger hard and go after God. Might we see with spiritual eyes, rescue us from this world, we pray. And help us live wholeheartedly, undividedly, for the glory of Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen.